a massively generous person. No, I know. I mean, that, that's why the juxtaposition is so um, invidious. But Sam, speak, speaking of juxtapositions, do parents matter? We agreed to do sudden transitions. So this is, yes. this is by the way, okay. from Proxima Ratio. And that's the name of... On a, Twitter? Yes, the name of one yeah. of Sam's 30 million Twitter followers. And, and he raised the question, and there's been a bit of discussion online about the idea of whether or not parenting matters. Yes, and this could have been seeded by our friend Steve Pinker yeah. circulating a Boston Globe article about a meta-analysis of all of the studies that have interrogated this question, whether parental influence really determines anything in the space of how kids grow into adulthood. This thesis was brought to the world's attention, I think, mostly by Judith Rich Harris. Did you know her? I, uh, she's, she's passed away, uh, yeah. unfortunately. I actually, um, I edit a, a journal, Behavioral Brain Sciences, where we, we publish controversial and theoretically interesting things, and then dozens and dozens of people write commentaries on it. And I, I contacted her after her book and asked whether she would contribute to our journal, which we usually don't make invitations, but this was an exception. And she was very nice, but she said her health would not, would not allow it. Yeah, so her thesis was that for virtually everything we care about, the human mind, the human personality, the human ability is basically 50% genetic, more or less, and then 50% environment. But environment, crucially from the point of view of mom and dad, doesn't seem to be anything they are doing. It seems to be the influence of peer group and other you know, inscrutable variables seems to absolve parents of much responsibility for who their kids become, apart from, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this has been summarized in my recollection around the heuristic that I mean, you, you can screw your kids up, right? If you're an awful parent, you can harm them. But if you're basically a decent human being treating your kids well, there's not much you can do to improve them, change them, make them who they're going to become, apart from having given them your genes. I think that's a fair summary. The research that's been done is typically within parents within a sort of normal range. We look at parents who adopt kids. We look at, at, at kids who are adopted into other families. We look at siblings and so on, and we don't tend to... It's not clear that these findings generalize to truly abusive parents. But, if, mm-hmm. of course, one of Judith, Judith Harris's major points, which is so profound, is it is a truism that, you know, parents who love reading have kids who love reading. Parents who are violent have violent kids. Kids resemble their parents in, in every one of, of countless ways. And this is obvious, and it is true, and it is important. But the mistake everybody makes is to say, well, this is because of parenting. But then it turns right. out that when you look at, say, adoption studies, you know, if, if, if I'm a big reader and my wife is a big reader and we have a baby and then the baby ends up in another family, the baby will grow up to be a big reader and, uh, you know, to, to, to some reasonable likelihood. And so you yeah. find out that parents have an enormous influence on their kids, but it is primarily genetic. And you have, you know, roughly, it's always roughly 50% of a genetic influence. And then the rest is environmental. But, but it's environmental like your peer group. It's environmental like is there lead in the environment. It's environmental like... Do you get into a car crash? What's your, what's your school like? It doesn't seem that, that parents have much of an influence on how, at least in what we look at, like their kids' personality and their kids' intelligence. Right, so knowing this, don't you think you can game the system a little bit in that understanding just how important a peer group is if you see your kids getting in with a bad peer group? If you see this early enough, you could intervene, you could, you could switch schools, you could yeah. push them in some more benign direction. But though, to be fair to parents, long before developmental psychologists showed up, parents... We're often exquisitely sensitive to the idea that your kid should run with a good crowd and not a bad crowd. Right. right. I mean, in some way, and this is the point that Harris makes and that Steve Pinker makes too, and it's a really important point. In some way, this is very important. It tells us a lot. It sort of tells us a lot of scientists. But in another way, it changes nothing. Because any decent person wants to give their kid a loving, rich, positive environment with stimulation and, and good schools and care. Not necessarily because they believe this will shape the kid in some way. 
but because they love the kid. And if you love somebody, yeah. you want to give them, you know, a great life. Steve Finger makes an analogy with, you know, spouses, which is, you know, you presumably want to treat your wife nicely, even though you might be aware this is going to change your personality. You want to treat her nicely because A, you love her, and B, you want her to love you. Yeah, it just, it flips it to your actual priority, which is you want to have good relationships with your kids. Yes. Right? So like, well, what, what maximizes the possibility of that? You know, it's everything that's benign and loving and supportive. But it does have an effect. When I take this thesis seriously, when I look at my concern about any specific thing, like an academic interest that is indiscernible in one of my daughters, say, right? Like, yeah. oh, why isn't daughter X, you know, more into whatever science? Is there something that I should be doing more of? You know, should I be more overbearing on this, on this front? And it does make me feel like I shouldn't be in that game at all. That's right. I am who I am, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up however I show up in conversations on that topic, and I'm making every effort to make sure they're in good schools and they're surrounded by good information, but it's just in terms of micromanaging their interests or having any kind of judgment at all about their being more interested in one thing versus another thing that I find more interesting, it does give me a reason to more or less unplug yeah. from that. Yeah, I mean, you have, actually, we both have more than one child, and the line which I think is true is when you have one kid, you are often an extreme environmentalist. You think you're shaping every aspect of the kid. Hmm. And you get a second kid, and typically your second kid is nothing like the first kid, even though it's the same environment. And suddenly you're abruptly reminded of genetics, of the sort of random coin toss of how the genes are shuffled. When you have these two kids and you treat them, you know, you try to treat them pretty much the same in the same household, the same environment, and they're so different. And and, and I agree, it is to some extent liberating. In general, I'm a developmental psychologist, and people often ask me, so what special insights did that give me in raising kids? And... The main insight it gave me for raising kids is enabled me to chill the fuck out. I just mm. I, I realized that sleeping in the same bed, sleeping in a crib, this that, this that, didn't make much of a difference. Right. And you know you wanted to you wanted to make you, you wanted to have your kids have a good time to be happy and have a rich environment. But you realize either this stuff doesn't matter, or at least nobody knows whether or not it matters. I mean, anything that can make a parent of the sort I tend to be just relax on those kinds of issues. I mean, just to kind of give up the illusion of control. That seems like a happy byproduct of this thesis. Actually, this relates to another topic that we were urged to discuss at some 